I noticed while we were singing, Tony was trying to get my attention that I still had my uh, thing on for my voice, microphone. And uh, I guess I couldn't have made the praise team, amen? He didn't want me singing. And I agree with him. I agree with him. Now, uh, when I ask you today, how big a foe do you ever, have you ever had? What's the biggest foe you ever had? David, King David is a teenager. Boy, did he have a big foe. Goliath, Goliath, probably around nine and a half feet tall. Imagine him in the NBA today. Amen. Just stand at the thing and just, just keep going like that. No problem whatsoever. And uh, probably weighed well over 400 pounds. Had what the coat of mail, the armor, 125 pounds, probably about that weight. Spe his spear was just huge, just like a beam. 14 feet long, the tip of it weighed 15 pounds. I mean, he was just somebody that, in fact, the Israelite army, you could tell, nobody in the Israelite army wanted to take him on. You know, come out and challenge him, bring one. And uh, <laughs> nobody in the, the whole army would do it. Well, meanwhile, David comes, he's a teenager. Uh, maybe around 15 or so, don't know for sure. And, and he comes up just to take some food to his brothers. His dad sent up to check on the brothers and brings him some food. And he sees what's going on and says, well, hey, wait a minute now. Uh, I'll take him on. You know, with God's help, with God's help, I can do it. Saul finds out, King Saul, and didn't have much other choice. He brings him in and starts talking to him. How are you going to do that? And, and uh, he said, well, I kill, I've killed a bear, and a, lion, a bear and a lion before, you know, taking care of my sheep. I think you know, I can take care of him with God's help. And Saul didn't have much choice. So he said, okay. And uh, he tried to put, though, his armor on David. He said, here, put this armor on. David put it on, but Saul was big. He's one of the biggest guys in Israel, not the biggest. And so David, little David, you know, is just like engulfed him. And he's like, King, I can't do this. I can't do this. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. And so what did he do? He went out with what? Just a sling and five stones and came what? And defeated that giant. You know the rest of the story. Just take down that giant and killed him. And what it was, David rejected conventional wisdom, conventional armor of that day, and won the battle. We face an enemy far more formidable than the Goliath. If we what? We're, our fight is against what? Satan and his forces. And we need to fight the battle not in conventional ways, not physically, so forth, but instead put on divine armor, the armor of God. We've been looking at this armor. <coughs> We've been looking about wearing the belt of truth. The belt of truth. We fight an enemy what, that loves to use deception. Satan is the father of lies. So how do you combat deception and lies? Through the truth. We need to put on the belt of the truth. Where do we find the truth? God's word. Amen. That's where we find the truth. And then we talked about it as well, putting on the, the breastplate of righteousness. And where you depend what in terms of your standing before God, not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross, was about what been accredited in a sense to your account. And then also seeking to live a righteous life as a result of that, that brings honor and glory to the Lord, doing the right thing no matter what. Now this week, we're going to look at some armor in terms of our feet. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the gospel preparation 
of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But today we want to focus on what? Verse 15, where it says, having what? Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We Christians must realize we didn't get saved in order for a life of what? Perfect ease and comfort and peace. I think you figured it out by now if you've walked with the Lord for a while. It's not one of total ease and comfort and so forth. And, and then wait to go to heaven one day. Instead, what? We're in a battle. And the battle is real. And we've got to stand, excuse me, stand strong in this warfare that we're in. Now, in order to stand, we need to what? Take care of our feet. Having shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Or another translation has feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, scholars debate over what this really fully means. Uh, there's two major camps on this issue. One camp believes that uh, means the gospel is the foundation on which we are to stand firm. So on the gospel, we stand firm. The other camp believes it has to do what? Defending and advancing the gospel. And there's merits to both these views. And I'm going to look at both of them today. First of all, with the gospel being the foundation on which we're to stand. <coughs> <coughs> The emphasis of the passage has been to stand with the devil attacks. So we need to have proper shoes on. Uh, you know, a lot of people look at the feet as being very unimportant. You know, very unimportant and kind of hidden away. Uh, not that beautiful. You know, and not that, you know, they're not kind of ugly a lot of times and so forth. They can stink pretty easy. Amen. And, uh, and people will point out. Oh, how much more the important the heart is. Amen. You know, we talked about last week, the breastplate of righteousness, protecting the vital organs, organs such as the heart. That's what we need to focus on. However, in battle, if your feet get severely wounded and you can't stand, what? You're shot. You fall. Amen. Dead meat in that battle. In fact, it's fascinating. We have uh, two big pro games, uh, football games this afternoon and this evening. And one um, Patrick Mahomes of Kansas City. I'm not real big in the football nowadays. I do watch it some, keep up a little bit. But uh, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City quarterback. And they're talking about who they're going to win, are they going to win or not. And they said, it all depends on one thing. He got what? Not his foot, but right close. The ankle hurt last week. And said, well, it all depends on what? Whether how bad his ankle is. Because if it's not good, they're not going to win it. What? The battle's not going to be won because his right towards his feet is not good. Now, Paul in this passage on spiritual warfare, as we've seen, has greatly emphasized standing big time. I mean, how do you stand without your feet? Amen. When we read what is stand, is stand, and stand, it's all about standing in this warfare we're in. And you can't do so without having your feet properly protected. Now, <coughs> the Roman soldiers, their feet, they would uh, have... Some would call it boots. Some would call it sandals. I think it leans a little more kind of towards a sandal. Uh, and it's a real thick sole, but on, underneath it has spikes coming out or nails. And, and what it is in close hand-to-hand -hand combat, you need to have secure footing. So that would give you that secure footing. during that. You don't want your foot slipping during that time. Now, one translation reads it this way. The shoes of your feet be the gospel of peace to give you a firm footing. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. You know, many these days seem to be kind of shaky in terms of their, what, faith. They seem kind of shaky in terms of, uh, of uh, where they stand on biblical truth. 
uh, many, sadly, are letting the world pressure those in the church, we in the church, not me, but uh, some, that changing their views on what is right and wrong. Man, we're seeing that more and more, and a lot of churches are capitulating to what the pressure of the world to conform to its views, conform to its views, instead of biblical church. And when you do that, boy, are you on shaky, shaky ground. They're compromising their beliefs, and they're off balance and fall prey to the devil's lives. When you have your feet covered with the gospel of peace, you can stand. And God's looking for those who will stand. Remember Gideon in the Old Testament? Gideon, they had these Midianites that had really come on the nation of Israel and, uh, and they would come and really oppress the Israelites. And, and, uh, and so God was going to deliver him through a, one man, Gideon. And so Gideon, he comes to Gideon and, and Gideon uh, is able to get an army of 32,000, I believe, people, of guys and soldiers. And man, so they got a chance against this huge force of Midianites. And yet God says, what? Uh-uh, that's too many people. <laughs> and he whittles it down. He whittles down again to what? 300 people. And what? Gets victory over all these Midianites. Because what? He has some people good trust that will stand. That will stand. God can do a lot through a little. Amen? Praise God. Amen. He can do a lot through a little. He could use even somebody like me. He can do a lot through a little. But he needs somebody that will stand up. Amen? He needs somebody that will stand. Are you willing to stand? Are you fully surrendered to the Lord? Are you like many who seem to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world? There's many that seem to have that these days. And let me tell you, folks, you can't serve two masters. Amen. You cannot serve two masters. The Bible says you can't serve God and money. either you'll love the one and hate the other, or to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. And it's not that you shouldn't. That'd be good. Thank you. It's not that you shouldn't serve two masters. I want you to understand what? You can't serve two masters. You can't. You got to make a choice because otherwise, otherwise what will happen uh, is going to eventually be where one's going to take precedence on the other. You've got to decide which one's truly going to be your master, which one's truly going to be your master. You know, it's amazing how many people will let money make their choices for them or possessions and so forth, letting those choose their, uh, make their decisions for them instead of letting God lead them. You know, before I became a Christian many years ago, uh, I went into engineering. The reason I went into engineering, money. You know, I was pretty good in math. And uh, so, okay, I'll go into engineering because you make pretty good money. I, w- I didn't really care that much about engineering. And, you know, and it was okay. And, and I did okay. And I did, did pretty good at it. And, but then I got saved. And, and let me tell you, my master was money. I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 40. Didn't make it. <laughs> but I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 40. And, and uh, so that was my master, my money. And, uh, and so I was sitting there, and, but I got saved. And so the Lord started working with me right away on that. Uh-uh, that can't be your master. And so what did he start bringing up? I started hearing about this thing called tithing. Tithing, giving 10%. And I said, wait a minute, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of money. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, you know, how's this going to work with my budget and this and that? And, and so, but I went ahead. Am I going to decide, am I, money going to be my master? Or is God going to be my master? Okay, Lord, I'll go ahead and do it. God started blessing. Actually challenged me to move up in levels of giving. So amen, he continued to bless as I did that. Well, then comes the big thing. Okay, I want you to go in the ministry. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> We're talking about a lot of money now. It'll leave engineering to go into the ministry. And, uh, and so, uh, but, and I, to be honest, I tried to bargain with God. How about I do this? How about I do that? I could do all these sorts of things. I've already been doing Sunday school. I've already been a deacon and this and that. And Lord, no, no, I want you to do this. And trust me, 
Trust me. And I did, and he's blessed ever since. He really has been a blessing, just a tremendous blessing to do that. And, but I had the choice. Am I going to serve God or money? I want to ask you today, who's your master? What ends up as the reason for your decisions? God or money? Or maybe God or pleasure versus pleasure or comfort. Comfort's big these days for people. They're going to choose the most comfortable option. Or maybe what? God or relationship. Maybe you're putting a relationship even over God. Hmm. Which one's going to make your decisions for you? Or self versus God. Are you going to do what pleases self or are you going to do what pleases God? Which one's going to be your master? Unless you're surrendered fully to God, he's not your master. He's not your master. It's not true. Well, mostly he's my master. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, he either is or he isn't. Amen. That means you're still in control. He's master in 90%, but 10% me, that means what? You're still in control. Amen. He needs to become your master. Are you fully surrendered or not? Also, we need to walk circumspectly, uh, watching where we put our feet, avoiding the traps of the evil one. Ephesians 5.15 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Be alert to the enemy's changing movements. Need to be, have mobility. The devil can be like a lion crouching, ready to pounce. So you need to be ready at all times uh, for the unexpected. You may come back from maybe a spiritual retreat and be, man, just on fire for the Lord and so excited. And man, I've got victory in life now, man. Man, I'm just going to, man, I can do anything. And who's waiting outside that retreat? <laughs> the devil's waiting right outside that retreat. Remember the mountain of transfiguration where Peter, James, and John, they go up there with Jesus and he's transforming there in his glory and sitting there with Moses and Elijah. How awesome that was. And they got to experience that. They came down off the mountain. What was waiting on them? Satan with a big, what, chaos going on amongst the, uh, the disciples and all that going on. Wait right when they came down off that mountain. Satan and his forces at times may pull back. And you think, well, you know, everything's going pretty good. And so often what they're doing, they're strategizing. They'll pull back and then what? They're going to come just the and attack. I've seen that with Change Lives guys. I've worked with them a little bit through the years and uh, getting off drugs and rehab, uh, excuse me, drugs and alcohol. And what I'll see is uh, sometimes, well, they'll, you know, they get there, they'll come to know the Lord, many of them, and, and, and most of them leave, almost all of them leave professing faith in Christ. And, and they start, of course, they're in a protected environment for 10, 12 weeks, and, and man, they're on fire for the Lord, many of them, they, and they're starting, man, it's just, man, they're doing good, and, and they get out. You know what? In a while, they can do pretty good. And they're like, man, it's kind of like I got this Christian life down. They're not even really feeling that tempted. And all of a sudden, at an opportune time, Satan comes and so many fall because well, I thought I had victory. They start feeling this temptation real strongly. I thought I had victory. And therefore they give in and realize, no, Satan just pulled back. But he's going to come at the opportunity. And just because you feel the temptation doesn't mean you need to give in to the temptation. We've got to be alert and mobile because Satan and his forces change their tactics, even their appearance. Again, Satan may appear as a roaring lion seeking who may may devour, bullying you bullying you, pressuring you to give in to sin. Maybe family members are giving in to a view that's not biblical, pressuring you to do that. And later on, they come to you as an angel of light telling you, you know, it's okay if you embrace certain sins. You know, nobody's perfect. It's not that big of a deal. You know, again, nobody's perfect and try to entice you into 
that sin. You know, and here, you hear this quite often. Surely God wants you to be happy, doesn't he? You have these desires, and you know God wants you to be happy. Just a little side note. God wants you to be holy, amen? That's what he really wants, number one. And then the joy will follow. Now, sometimes the demons attack you with accusations, condemnation. Wanting you to get discouraged and give up. And then turn around. That doesn't work. They'll turn around and they'll start flattering you that you're doing pretty good in your walk. And start giving what? Tempting you to give into the horrible sin of pride. What well, I mean the devil, demons may be driving you, pushing you to sin, and then the next enticing you again gently to sin. One minute they'd be attacking scripture. Is scripture really true? You know, this and that, you know, doubting scripture. And the next minute they'd be using scripture, then twisting it, taking it out of context to get you to give in to some type of temptation. The devil and the demons will do anything to what? To steal the abundant life that Jesus came to give you and me. They'll try any tactic. They don't care. They don't care if they contradict themselves. They could give a rip. They're just going to keep trying one thing after another. But they do study you and they know what works best for you versus works best for me. They want to steal the life. God, Jesus came. Jesus said, I'm coming that you may have life and have it what? More abundantly. And they want to steal that. In fact, that same verse, John 10, 10, the devil comes what? To steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal that life from you, that life that brings glory to God, that life of joy and peace and love. He wants to keep you from that. And what? Also keep you from glorifying God like he wants you to. You know, uh, the life God wants for you is one of peace. True peace comes from the gospel, the gospel of peace. For one, the gospel results in peace with God. Amen? With God. We've all been in rebellion against God. And you what? Come back into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And until you have peace with God, your creator, you ain't going to have peace. Amen? You've got to have first peace with God. The gospel brings that. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 also, though, brings us, starts to bring us peace with others as well. For he himself, Jesus is our peace, who has made both one, Jews and Gentiles, has broken down the metal wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Even Jews and Gentiles in Christ coming together as one. And remember this, you can't have success against our enemy if you're fighting with one another. Amen. In the family, also in the church as well. And let me tell you, sadly, there's a lot of churches that have a lot of fights that go on. And let me tell you, you ain't going to be successful if you're fighting with one another when your real enemy's outside the church, Satan and his forces. In fact, Romans 12, 13, excuse me, 12, 18 says this, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all men. And let me tell you, even unbelievers that may come against you, and they will at times, even if they come against you, it's not, they're not the enemy. They're not really the enemy. Our enemy is what? Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places. In fact, we're called to do what with our supposed enemies? Love them. Amen? Not Satan and his forces, <laughs> but those that come against us that are flesh and blood, we're called to love them. And the gospel of peace also results, and I love this, not just peace with God, but the peace of God, the peace of God. You know, uh, we're shed abroad in our hearts. Jesus says what in John 14, 27, I love this passage. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, 
neither let it be afraid. I think that's a wonderful verse to memorize and to meditate on day by day. Jesus' peace, that wonderful peace that only Jesus can give. The kind of peace you think that Jesus himself had. He's sitting there on the, on the Sea of Galilee and falls asleep and all the disciples are around him. The boat's supposed to capsize, about to capsize with this huge storm. And, and these are fishermen. They're scared to death. So you know it's a bad storm. And they wake Jesus up. Jesus, we're about to die. Jesus, oh my God. He didn't do that at all, did he? He got up calmly, calmed the waves, amen, and said, what, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Where is your faith in this one name, Jesus? Mm. From the gospel, Romans 5, 5 through 10 tells us this. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, God died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than that, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Mm. We're in a battle. If you're truly what? Saved, God's on your side. Amen. God's coming. And let me tell you, that'll bring you peace, knowing God is on your side, the God over all. And we get our strength from where? From him. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present. You don't have to wait on him. He doesn't put you on, on you know, right away, a very present, very present help in trouble. Also, uh, I want to ask you, knowing that'll give you confidence in battle, I want to ask you today, do you really have the peace of God? Do you really have the peace of God? Just the peace. Even when times are struggling, when, when times are very troubling, do you have the peace? Let me ask you, are, are you following him? Are you doing what he would have you to do? Jesus, what, 23rd Psalm. I think that's a wonderful prescription for peace. I know somebody in the, in the congregation has been using that lately. It's been blessing them. The prescription for peace to go through. The God, Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He leads us beside still water. He makes us lay down in green pastures. Man, just to meditate on that. But for what? You to be, what? Enter into that rest, you have to follow him, amen? He's your shepherd, you've got to follow him. It means you do what he says. And let me tell you, I guarantee you, there's a lot of people in here, some people, I bet, I bet there's a lot, that still struggle with worry, still struggle with worry. Most everybody, most everybody in the church still allow themselves to struggle with worry. And, but they're not doing what God says very well. Because it tells us in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for what? Yeah, but pastor, you don't know. No, no. It says be anxious for what? Nothing. Zero. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, take everything to the Lord in prayer. And it says with what? Thanksgiving. So when you're praying, you start praying about the situation, and then you start giving thanks to God that he's going to help in that situation, that he's hearing your prayer. And then what? Let your request be made known to God. And what will happen then? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Likewise, when the battle gets really rough, even when all hell breaks loose, we can stand on we are in Christ Jesus. We're saints. We've been redeemed. We've been adopted into the family of God. And who's our father? God. The most loving father you could ever dream of. That's our father, God. 
God himself. And if you let that sink in and dwell on that and meditate on that and truly believe that, folks, that'll bring you peace. Amen? That will bring peace. Absolutely amazing. Now, do you have peace right now? Someone say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. <laughs> Pastor, you wouldn't say that if you knew what I was going through. You know, you don't, don't give that to me. You have no idea what I'm going through. And I don't. But let me tell you. Peace that the Bible offers. The peace the Bible offers. Doesn't come, and I like this, from the subtraction of problems. It doesn't come from, if I just get through this, then I can have peace. You ever said that? I've said that, and guess what? I remember there's three more things after that gets resolved that I now have to deal with that I had forgotten. Amen? It's not the subtraction of problems that bring you peace, biblical peace. It's instead what? The addition of power to deal with those problems. That's what gives you peace. Psalm 119, 165 says this, Great peace have those who love your law, the word, and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace. Romans 8.31 tells us this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37 says, yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I can testify today, I mean just fully, not in, embellishing in any sense at all. Some of my most difficult times in ministry, and I've had some difficult times in the last 23 years. Some of my most difficult times by far. Let me tell you, as I had some of my greatest peace, right in the midst. How do you explain that? The presence and power of God. Amen? That's the only way. The presence and power of God. It's available to who? Not just pastors. To all children of God. You know, also, I know this will surprise you big time, but there's another verse I get a lot of peace from. You ever heard of Romans 8, 28? I've only got about five, four more weeks after this. So I got to kind of get it in more. And, uh, and it says what? We know that in how many things? All things. Not some, not most. All things. Uh, God works together for those who, excuse me, now I can't even pronounce it. Uh, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who call according to his purpose. You know, uh, let me tell you, give me great peace. When things just don't make sense at all. I mean, you're looking at us. People often come to pastor. Well, pastor, well, how can you explain this? I can't. <laughs> I don't, you know, I can't, but I know God's good. Amen. And I know Romans 8, 28 says what? That thing you're going through, if you're a child of God, that thing you're going through, he's causing it to what? Work for good somehow. Amen. Can't see it necessarily. I've been there. Can't see it. But we know based on the word of God, somehow he's going to work it for good in our life. And we can choose to praise him for it. Amen. Choose to praise him. You have that choice. You may not feel it, probably won't. But you can choose to praise God. What you're going to say, Lord, thank you. You will cause it to work for good in my life. And I praise you in advance. And then know what that good is, is Romans 8, uh, 829. That's to make you more like Jesus. More like Jesus. You know, a worried, anxious soldier will not be a successful soldier in this battle. Two painters were asked to paint a picture of peace. 
a picture that would make people just be think of peace. So the first artist drew a picture of a, a shepherd, you know, with these nice hills, lush fields, and, and sheep that are sitting nice and gently following, and there's a stream running, and it's very nice and calm, and, you know, everything just beautiful, nice, beautiful sunset, and called it peace. And the other artist, the other artist, he instead painted a picture of a terrible storm, just torrential rain just coming down and, and dark except for the lightning in the sky. And, and sitting there, and there's a river that's just kind of raging there and just as, you know, wow, just like chaos all around and wind blowing so strongly. And yet, over to the side, with a little bit of light gleaming down that way, is a little bird sitting on a rock and just singing away singing away in the midst of all that chaos. Wow. That was his picture of peace. Let me tell you, that's biblical peace, folks. Biblical peace is not because there's nothing going wrong. In fact, Jesus says every day has trouble enough of its own. Amen. If you're having a day where nothing's going wrong, rejoice. Amen. Because the next day probably ain't going to go all that good. He said every day has trouble enough of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow, he says. Every day has that trouble. You know, uh, let me tell you. So, uh, have, you know, biblical peace is not because nothing is wrong, but that everything is wrong and you're still singing. And you're still singing, even though everything's wrong. We still, you can have a little bit of heaven on earth, even when all hell breaks loose on you or around you. As one said, as long as you have on the belt of truth, if you're living according to the truth, the belt's prayed of righteousness, doing that what is right before the Lord, you can trust him to help you whatever you're going through and give praise unto him. As one said, the gospel does more than get you to heaven. The gospel brings heaven down to you. Yes, the evil day will come. But what did Jesus say once again? He says what? He said, peace, I leave it to you. My peace I give you. Not as the world giveth, give it unto you. Now, secondly, when it comes to one's feet, having been fitted with the preparation of the gospel of peace, some scholars believe it points to what? Being ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, being ready to do that, being prepared to do that. What is the best way to defeat Satan and his kingdom? The gospel, amen? You've got people in tens of thousands of homes all throughout this area, the low country in this area. Tens of thousands are under what? The strongholds of Satan. Most don't even realize it, but they're what held in, 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 in the grips of Satan and his forces. And how's, how can they what be set free? The gospel, amen? That's the only way they can be set free. Now, once again, we're going to see in just a second the connection with the Old Testament book of Isaiah with this. But uh, as I already mentioned, a lot of people don't think feet are that attractive. Amen. Uh, now, some do. And I know you have foot models, you know, and I guess their, their feet look pretty good. Now, some feet, some people love feet, but I won't get into that. Uh, that's a whole other thing. I remember a coach one time that got into that. It kind of got strange. And uh, so we won't get into that. Uh, but, you know, some feet are called beautiful in Scripture. Did you know that? Now, who in the world have beautiful feet? Well, it tells us in Isaiah, Isaiah uh, 52, 7. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, 
your God reigns. Romans 10, 15 tells us this, and how they shall preach. How shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We Christians are what to seek to share the good news Everybody around us, everybody around us. We should always be ready and willing to what? Share the gospel with those around us where they can find peace with God and therefore experience the peace of God. You know, uh, Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Jesus came to do what? Ephesians 2.17. And Jesus came and what? Preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. Johannes Blau said this, missionary work is like a pair of sandals that has been given to the church in order that it shall set out on the road and keep on going to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now, some of you this week will get an email from the church and it'll be our journal articles for the week, for the month. And uh, I'll be talking about the next couple of articles this month and next uh, 23 years that I've been here. Uh, one of the great things I think God has done is, is lead us to go out in the community and share the gospel. Uh, we did that for about a 15-year period, starting around 2001 or so, 2002, and went to thousands of homes seeking to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's one of the most important things that were done here during the last 23 years. And we've got, what, a number of people that profess faith in Christ as a result. We've got a number of people in the church today as a result of us going out with that outreach. And our passage today, what we were doing, what? It talks about preparation in our passage today. What were we doing? We were training leaders. We trained dozens of people here at Calvary Baptist Church, dozens and dozens through the years to share the gospel as we go out. Hands on, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What were we doing? We were preparing people, amen? Preparing people to be able to share this gospel of truth. And that's a major attack on the kingdom of Satan. That's a major attack on the kingdom of Satan. Sadly, the average person in the pew, in fact, probably only 5% regularly share the gospel. So he's gotten most of the people not to be the soldiers Jesus has called us to be, and we're not. And a lot of them aren't even prepared if it was that time to share the gospel. We need to be ready. Be ready. One, to share testimony. Anybody can do that, amen? If you're truly saved, you've got a testimony. Amen? What life was like before you got saved, and what was your life been like since you got saved? probably only two or three minutes, be able to share that. Let me tell you, there's power there. There's power there. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy a nice, friendly debate. You know, and so when people come to me, they have questions, you know, intellectual questions about Scripture. I kind of enjoy that. I kind of like to sit there and go with them back and forth a little bit. But, you know, as I went out and gone, and I've talked to hundreds of people through the years, you know how many times I get a, where people are questioning, you have all these intellectual questions, you know how many times I encounter that? Extremely rarely. <laughs> I mean, it's extremely rare. And then I remember one girl one time that one lady, she, she supposedly had all these intellectual questions. I started talking to her and, uh, and she didn't, and the questions weren't that tough. And so we talked about it. She said, okay, you know, and, and so it went along. But it didn't seem to impact her. But you know what impacted her? When I simply shared my, my testimony, that, that gripped her. She didn't pray to see Jesus, but that gripped her. There's power in the testimony. Power in your testimony. You have a testimony I don't. God may use that to be able to reach somebody better than my testimony would. But let me tell you, you have a testimony, and we need to be out there sharing it more than we do, me included. But let me tell you, don't just share testimonies. 
Be ready after you share the testimony. Be prepared to share the gospel as well. Be prepared to share the gospel as well. I remember uh, after I came to know Jesus, Lord and Savior, in mid-late 20s, probably around 27, and, uh, and I got on fire. I mean, I was on fire for the Lord. So I'm sitting there, and, and Sandy Cooper, in my, in my, in my, my group, uh, we would go, I have to go out to job sites, and you know, I did the engineering part and have to go out and check things out. And so I was going on a field trip one day and had a couple of ladies with me. And, uh, and so we went and had to go a couple hours away from here. And, and on the way back, you know, one good thing about that is, man, they can't go anywhere. Amen. And, and so I started talking about what Jesus had done in my life and, and uh, all excited about it still. And, and, uh, and I tell you, they were interested. They were really interested. And in fact, one got excited about it. She was actually excited and went back to my general supervisor, who was a strong Christian, been a strong Christian for longer than I had, definitely. And, uh, and I, I shared my testimony and they got all excited and went to talk to him. You know what I thought? I didn't really know how to what, finish it up and share the gospel. I thought he would do that. And guess what? He didn't do that. And sadly, you know, years later when I left, guess what? She still didn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nobody followed up. I should have as well, but nobody followed uh, we need to be follow up and we'll go ahead and share the gospel after that testimony. Be prepared. Be prepared. Say, Pastor, how do I get prepared? Well, let me tell you. It can be you get online and you go. There's several different ways you can learn to share the gospel. You have the Romans Road. You have faith training. You have evangelism explosion. There's a number of ways. If you're really serious, you can easily go through those things. Now, it takes a while. It takes a while, but you can do that and start practicing and so forth. Uh, also, you can always get tracks. You could take them, hand them out, or maybe read through it with them, or learn what the track says yourself, and go ahead and present the gospel that way. If you're serious, you will learn. You can learn. There's no, you know, no problem. Again, it takes time. But there's also a pretty easy way. There's a pretty easy way, and it's John three sixteen. And many of you know John three sixteen anyway. Amen. And if you don't learn it, amen. It's pretty simple. Pretty doggone simple. And then learn it. If you don't want to do that, you ain't serious at all. You won't even learn John 3.16. And you can use just that one verse to share the gospel. I use that most of the time when I do funeral messages. And in fact, uh, you talk about an opportune time to share the gospel, funerals. Amen? And, and so when I get a funeral, it's opportune time, I'm going to share the gospel. And it's usually John 3.16. And I love to share it at funerals because what? Somebody just passed away. And then what? People are thinking about, okay, this isn't all there is. We're going to pass away. And so are you ready? Do you know where you're going to be when you pass on the other side? You know, I was talking about heaven for a little while. And, and then I said, the biggest question about heaven, you're going to be there. Are you going to be there? And usually I ask them a question. I ask them, I say, think about this yourself. If you think you'll be there, why do you think you'll be there? I say, answer that question for yourself. Why do you think you'll be there? And then I'll say, I'll say something like this. I'll say, if you really believe it's because you're a pretty good person, and therefore you think you'll be there, I want to guarantee you, according to Scripture, you won't be there. You can't make it that way, according to Scripture. Not me, that's not my opinion, that's according to Scripture. And hopefully wake them up. Because let me tell you, there's huge number, large percentage of people think that's how you get to heaven. Large percentage. Just, most of the people in funerals a lot of times hadn't been in church at all, hardly, and they don't know that. And they think they're pretty good and they go in there. So then I let them share. And I'll use John 3, 16 to share how they can know that they can have truly Salvation. What I want to do in closing today is I want to give you a simple presentation of the John 3.16 that you could go back on YouTube and look at, and, uh, and then you can learn it that way. And it's not, it doesn't take that long. Remember, I learned this in seminary many, many years ago. It didn't take long. Basically, the 
pastor, excuse me, the, pre, the professor presented it. We had a bunch of 40 people in that class or so. He said he presented it. I said, all right, go do it. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> but it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. So I just want to give that as an example. Again, you can go back on YouTube and look at it, and maybe it'll help you in terms of being ready to share the gospel. So we're going to put it up there. And we don't have it up there because I don't know John 3.16. I do know John 3.16. There's a reason for this. And what it is, it has four truths. One, and then goes three, four, and two. So it moves around. That's the reason I have it up there. So you can see we'll go from one truth to the other. And what you do is somebody, you know, do you think you're going to heaven when you die? And they give you a good works answer. And you say, well, look, can I share with you how the Bible answers that? And I like to use a verse called John 3.16. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And let them know there's four truths in this verse. The first truth is God loves the world. God loves you. God loves me. God loves his whole creation. In fact, he created us to be in fellowship with him. But most people don't have that. And why is that? Because of sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's like there's a huge chasm between the world and God. A huge chasm. The world over here and God over here. And the second truth is if you perish while you're still in the world, you'll spend an eternity without God. You'll spend an eternity without God. You won't be in heaven. You'll be in hell, eternally separated from God. But God doesn't want that for anybody. Instead, he wants us, what, to have eternal life, to be in a relationship with him now and forever. He wants that for everybody. But there's this issue, there's a chasm between the world and God. And how in the world are you going to get from the world all the way over here? It might as well be a million mile wide, this chasm. How are you going to get from the world to God where there has to be a bridge. There's got to be a bridge. What is that bridge? We come to the third truth. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who left the glory of heaven, who willingly left the glory of heaven, came and lived a sinless, perfect life and died on that cross in our place to save us from our sin. He came and died for us. See, God's a righteous judge, Amen. He can't just overlook sin. He can't overlook lawbreaking. And we've all broken God's law multitudes of times. And I had my sin to pay for. The wages for sin is death. You had yours. There's only one who didn't have sin. That's Jesus Christ. And he came, fully God, fully man, and died on that cross in our place to pay for our sins. So God could forgive us and still be the righteous judge that he is. How do we know God accepted it? He rose again on the third day. Amen. And Jesus Christ then became the bridge from the world over to God. And the bridge is there, amen, for anybody to pass over. And I love that fourth truth, the fourth truth that what whosoever, anybody, no matter what you've done, no matter how many bad things you've done, whosoever can cross that bridge. How do you cross that bridge? It says whosoever what? Believes in him. Trust in him. Not just with the head, but with the heart that Jesus died for them on that cross at Calvary. They're not trusting in their own good works to get there. They're trusting in Jesus Christ alone and what he did on that cross. And if you mean it with your heart, that means what? You're going to follow him as well. Then explain that. Explain, okay, there's the gospel. And the question is, would you like to receive the salvation you can have in Christ Jesus by trusting in him as Lord and Savior? And they'll say one of two things. Yes or no, or maybe wait, which is essentially no. But at least what? You've offered that opportunity for them. In fact, today, what I want to close is maybe you, as we've gone through this, have never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've been trusting in your own works. Like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And that's honestly what you've been trusting. You may know about Jesus and believe certain things about Jesus, but what have you really been trusting in? If you've been trusting in your works to get you to heaven, you have to turn from that and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you've never done that, trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, as your Lord, and you're really seeking to find him. If you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you. What a good God you are. Oh, what a good God you are. How lovely you are. While we were yet sinners, Father, you had your son die, that we who deserve hell, we can have heaven instead. And Father, we just thank you right now for the opportunity of salvation in Christ Jesus. But Lord, if there's someone in here today that never has truly trusted you, but right now they're being convicted, oh Lord, just convict them even more so. Just help them to realize you're there with open arms if they'll turn their sin and trust in you and you alone. If that's you today, that's you today. Maybe you, you, you haven't ever done that, or maybe you're not even sure. Will you not settle that issue today? Just quietly where you're at. Call out to the Lord. Say, oh, Lord, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I believe that Savior is you. I believe you died on that cross in my place, and I believe you rose again. I'm asking you. I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save my soul. Father, thank you if somebody did it. They passed from death to life. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Just pray that you bless them in a mighty way with your presence and your power. And Father, for all of us who have trust in you as Lord and Savior, I just pray, Lord, today that we would put on the what? Have the prayers of our feet shattered with the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace, Lord, that we would have that peace that comes from you. Lord, it's available. If we're in Christ, it's available. Lord, but there's some in here that aren't fully following you into that abundant life, that life of peace that you came to give. It may be some today that are not meditating on your word, those, those passages that talk about it, such as the 23rd Psalm and, and meditate on, and dwell on that, that you're our shepherd. You'll lead us into the, uh, beside those still waters. You're, you'll make us lay down in green pastures. Lord, there may be some in here today that are not obeying you in terms of being anxious for nothing. But instead, what? Bringing their prayers and supplication for you with thanksgiving and praising you and thanking you that you will help as they pray. Lord, there's some in here today that are allowing their, their minds to continue going down the trail of worry instead of, instead of replacing that with prayer and thanksgiving. Lord, just pray you help them to realize if they'll do that and keep applying that, Lord, they can have that peace that passes all understanding according to Philippians 4, 7. Father, help us to be like that artist. Lord, even all, everything's chaos around us, like that little bird just singing away. And Lord, thank you we can sing because according to Romans 8, 28, you cause all things, those turbulent times included, those troubling times included, you're causing those to work for good in our life to make us more like Jesus, to help us to sing even all hell's breaking loose. Help us to keep on singing, knowing what an awesome God you are, how loving you are, how caring you are, and you'll work it for good in our lives somehow. And Father, also just pray your conviction in terms of preparation of the gospel of peace that we are being prepared. We're preparing ourselves and we're putting into practice, seeking to share our testimony and also the gospel of Jesus Christ as well. Help us in this, Lord. Help us to do a better job in doing this. That's what we're, help us realize, Lord, that's why you left us here on earth. 
Not so we could have the American dream, a comfortable lifestyle. We're here to represent you, to set the captives free, to be used of you. Lord, give us boldness. Oh, Lord, help us in this. Help me as well do better in this, being good soldiers that you can use to advance the kingdom of God on this earth. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.